last one, I believe it's if it's still in there. I don't know if you saw the sign coming in this morning and wondering what the heck was Nick at night. Nick at night is what our sermon is titled this morning. And because we're talking about Nicodemus coming to see Jesus at night. Okay. Anyway, we're in the book of John. Surprise. John chapter 3. So, three, three people died and they went to, to stand before Peter. It's always Peter at the gates in all of these stories. And to see if whether or not they could get into heaven. And Peter went to the first one and says, well, tell me your story. And he says, well, I was a police officer. I served you know, my, my city and I protected people. And, and Peter says, well, that sounds good enough to me. You can get into heaven. So we got in, and the next guy, Peter, says, well, what's your story? He says, well, you know, I was a very successful businessman, but I was like the guy that Norm was talking about this morning. I gave most of my money to charities and to help, and I served in the food banks, and, and I funded a lot of missionaries and ministries and really lived personally frugally and uh, so that things could happen. And Peter said, hey, that's a good job. You get to get in, too. And he went to the third guy and says, well, what, what's your story? Why should I let you into heaven? And he says, well, I, I created this wonderful health uh, insurance program called an HMO, and it helped a lot of people. And so Peter says, you can go into heaven also, but you can only go in for three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, well, Whenever, you know, why is it, we always hear these stories about, you know, heaven and Peter, and there's some really, really fun ones and funny ones, but, but there's always an, a problem in that, and, and that's how to get into heaven. Obviously, there's some the, theological issues in the joke, because you don't get to get to heaven because you're a police officer, or because you give a lot of money, or even because you started an HMO. Um, but, but this morning's sermon on John chapter 3 talks about the way to get into heaven. And this is a huge chapter. It's the chapter that is the most, has the verse that's the most commonly known, maybe next to Psalm 23, John 3:16. And people, unsaved people, know it. They've heard it. They see it at football games. Sometimes they just see the sign John 3.16, and some people are still wondering what John 3.16 means, but they're familiar with at least that much of it. And so John chapter 3, we find Jesus with his disciples in the evening time. Now, this is right after chapter 2, where Jesus is flipping over the money changer tables in the synagogue. So if this is immediately following, there's still people around. Um, possibly from just right after the Passover. But Father, as we go into the Word this morning, you just pray your blessing and anointing upon it. God, expand our, our ability supernaturally to hear not just what the words are saying, but what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. God, help to transform our lives. Father, even though this message has information in it, God, it's not the information that will transform us. It's your Spirit. So God, transform our lives. Transform us today through your word, in Jesus' name. 
And so, so that's kind of the setting. It's the evening time and starting in uh, John chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And in the style that I've kind of been going, we're going to give a little background and some little teaching and just some information that's kind of good to know, uh, might be interesting. Um, Nicodemus, we really don't know a whole bunch about Nicodemus. He's found in just three different places in the book of John and nowhere else. So here we learn the most about him. It says that he was a man of the Pharisees. So Pharisees, we've, we've heard the word Pharisees. We kind of know what a Pharisee is. There were, there were three groups, but really two main ones within the, within the synagogue, Pharisees and Sadducees. And, um, you know, we, we've tried to memorize things like, you know, we, you know Pharisees. What was the Pharisee compared to Sadducee? And there was a kind of a, a song, the Sadducees don't believe in eternity don't believe in a, in a heaven. That's why they're sad, you see. Right? Okay, so that might help you remember one of the things about Sadducees is they, but they were an elite, uh, the Sadducees, which Nicodemus was in part, they were an elite group. They were wealthy. They were um, actually more liberal than the Pharisees. They didn't believe in eternity. And, um, and so that was one of the groups. Well, Nicodemus is from the other group, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we know them just, we always think Pharisees are bad. Just Right? I mean, they're the Pharisee. They're just bad. They weren't bad. They adhered to the written law of Moses along with the oral traditions of, of the law. And, the, you know, because there was the written laws of Moses. But then there were all the teachings that the, the rabbis, the priests would have. And they would subscribe both to the written part of the law and to the oral understanding of the law, which kind of morphed and changed over the years. Eventually, those oral traditions came to, be, to make up uh, the Mishnah, which the Jews still live by today. There's all these extra laws outside of the Torah. And so he was a Pharisee. They... they strictly adhered to all the writings of the of the law they were waiting for the messiah the messiah would come and usher in a new kingdom and that kingdom was was going to be a kingdom where like when king david was ruling um, it would be a kingdom on the earth but it would be anointed by god to save the people israel so now some of the Pharisees were lost in their pharisaical views. They were so intent on, on following the law and these things that they missed the spirit of law. So now we have Nicodemus. We don't know uh, much about him. We're going to meet him here a little bit more. So he was a Pharisee. He was also a leader of the Jews. So that term probably is referring that he was part of a group called the Sanhedrin. And we've heard of the Sanhedrin. That's referred to a little bit in the, in the New Testament. Now there was a great Sanhedrin and a lesser Sanhedrin, actually. The great Sanhedrin was 71 religious leaders. The, they were um, made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees within the temple, the main temple at Jerusalem, and they acted as judges. They met every day except the Sabbath, and they would talk about things going on. They kind of ruled the Jews. Um, and Caiaphas, we know about Caiaphas, was the leader of the Sanhedrin when Jesus was crucified. Um, but Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. I don't know if he was part of the greater Sanhedrin or the lesser. Now, the lesser was just a, to, up to like 23 leaders in individual cities that would meet just for their little cities, like a town council, maybe, for what we would understand. And so, but he was a leader in, in some regard, whether it was part of the great Sanhedrin or just one of the local city leaders. Um, 
So he was respected. He was known. Now look at here in John 3, the very beginning, in verse 2. Look at what Nicodemus says. He says, this, came, this man came to Jesus by night, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. And he said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher from God. He didn't say, I know. He said, we know. He's, he's speaking about what they've been talking about in the Sanhedrin. The, the other leaders, the other Jews, they're going, there's something about Jesus. And they agreed that Jesus was a teacher from God. And he's kind of bringing that report to him. Also, though, it's really important to see he came at night. He didn't come during the broad daylight. See, Jesus just recently, whether it was the day before or, 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 or a week or two ago, he had gone into the temple and flipped over all the money changers' tables. He's already beginning a stir. And so, so Nicodemus comes out at night. People didn't do a lot at night. They didn't have flashlights. He's coming at night because he doesn't want anyone else to know that he's going to talk to Jesus. People do things at night to do it in secret. And that's still true today. Right? That's why Christians are supposed to be children of the day, not of the night. And so Nicodemus is coming, but he's curious. And he's not coming to accuse Jesus. He's coming to have a conversation with him. He, he's a Pharisee, but he knows God and he wants to know if Jesus is the Messiah. He wants to know if, if, if this Jesus is someone he needs to really be paying attention to. No one can do these things unless these signs, unless God is with him. And so Jesus begins, John 3, 3, another famous verse that we understand and know. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jumps right in to the discourse that we're going to follow all the way through past verse 16. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, it's interesting he puts that here. And I was thinking, okay, so Nicodemus says, hey, we know you're a teacher sent from God because of the signs you do. And Jesus immediately says, no one can see this kingdom of God unless he's born again. And that's because what he's trying to say is, you think you've seen some, but you really can't see. You really don't know what's going on until you're born again. There's another step that Nicodemus, he won't even grasp what he's trying to grasp. He won't understand it until he's born again. He can't fully see the kingdom of God. Like many of us, before you were saved, before we were, came to Christ, we saw Christians doing things. We saw the church. We saw different aspects. And we, we drew conclusions and we, made our, we had opinions and we made assumptions about what it was all about. But then when you come to Christ and you're born again, something changes. It's not just that you become saved. That's part of the act. When you accept Christ, and we're going to talk about what, how, to, how to become a Christian, you accept Christ, it says you're saved, and immediately your destination changes from hell to heaven. But another transaction takes place, and it becomes that you're born again, and you become alive and aware of spiritual things, not just eternal destinations. See, there's more with salvation than just getting saved from hell. You become spiritually born. And Jesus is going right at it saying, listen, you, you think you know. You see, you read the, the, the Torah, but you don't know. And you can't really know the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You're on the outside. And so that goes, goes in. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? 
can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this is new thinking. This is new thinking for Nicodemus because he's a Pharisee. How does how do the Jews please God? Follow the law. Be good. Do all the things that God says and you'll be good. And so Jesus comes and says, no, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. What? I have studied the law. I have studied. I've kept it meticulously. I have striven in the, when I, where I've fallen short. I've made sacrifices just like the law has told me. And now you're telling me that that's not how to come into the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God comes? Remember, they think the kingdom of God is going to come just like when they tried to take Jesus by force to make him the ruler. They're, they want the kingdom to come and establish itself in Israel. And so he says, and it's going to be an anointed king, the Messiah. And so, so Nicodemus is going, I've kept the law. I've, I've, I'm a Pharisee. I've done all these things so that I can be part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. How can I be born again? I was already born once. I'm old. What are you talking about? It's foreign language. It's foreign language. The term for us, it's not foreign language. In fact, I think it should become more foreign to us so that we don't treat it too lightly and wash by it so quickly. Have you been born again? We, we, we just use this term without understanding that there's a spiritual act that goes along with this. And so here we go to his answer in verse 5. Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this, this passage is debated and has been debated for a long time. What is he talking about? And some believe that he's talking about water being um, baptism. Unless you're baptized and you're, you're born again, unless you're baptized in the water and then also baptized in the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. I've read this, and there's, I really believe that this is actually simply talking about unless you're born of water, meaning unless you're physically born. What happens right before a baby's born? The water breaks. That was used in this time. To, they would use a couple different terms, the water or even dropping. You know, they would use the word drop for a baby to be born or water. I believe Jesus is simply drawing a, a conclusion saying you have to be born physically and spiritually. Now, in the Jewish thinking, all you had to do is be born physically and follow the law. And you could see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, no, you have to be born physically and spiritually. And, and let me read on the next, next verse. And this is the biggest reason I, I believe this. Well, there's a few. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus first says water, spirit. In the next verse, he says flesh, spirit. Baptism is not a fleshly birth. So I don't believe he's talking about baptism. Just simply talking about you have to be born of the, of the natural. Now, the other reason is I don't believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. But I believe that if you are saved, you will be baptized. Does that make sense? I don't think you have to be baptized to be saved. But if you're saved and Jesus says for us to be baptized will be obedient and we will be baptized. So that's this is not a, you you can you can disagree and say I believe he's talking about baptism anything you want I'm just sharing you these are the things from my study and my belief um, 
from the scriptures. But the, so the conversation is going, but the point is that Jesus is trying to make the point that it's not about a water thing. It's not about fleshly. It's about a spiritual birth. There has to be a spiritual transaction in order for us to see the kingdom of God. We cannot reach it on our own, our own merit, our own works, nothing in the flesh. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on in this discourse, says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When we're born again, when we're born of the Spirit, we don't really get it. I don't get it. Do you get it? But do you remember when you were saved and born again, something changed? Do you remember when you first got saved and people would talk to you about it and say, what is it? And you'd go, I don't know. I can't tell you what happened exactly. I can tell you what I did, but I'm different. I feel different. I don't know how to explain it to you. And that's because now you're, you're in the kingdom and you're seeing something different. You're understanding something different before you're looking at it from an outside perspective going, well, they do these things and they do those things and that's boring and I don't want to have any part of it. And what unsaved people often say, they have to go to church and they have to read their Bible and they can't do this and they can't do that. And they're looking at all the outward stuff. And that might have been you before you became a Christian. That might be you this morning and you haven't become a Christian. You haven't been born again and you're still looking at the outside. But the moment the spiritual transaction takes place, something happens like when the wind blows. I was blowing the parking lot yesterday. If you drove by, I'm sorry I got your car dirty because I was out on the road and blowing and the dust was going everywhere and, and I would stop and I'd like, okay, the wind is blowing this way so I'd blow with it and next thing I know it's blowing this way. I can't always explain that. And how does it change so quick? I don't know. The wind blows where it wants. When I got saved, my life changed. My desires began to change. My outlook began to change. It's been an ongoing process. It hasn't been always me doing this work. It's been something within me doing it inside of me. It's the Spirit of God changing me. I can't explain it, but the wind blows where it wants, and I can't explain that either. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? After all these years, I don't know what, exactly what he's saying here, but I get the feeling he's like, after all these years we've been doing it this way and you're changing the game? How can this, how can this be? That's why it was so hard when Jesus came and to the Jews because it was a game changer. He says, I didn't come to, to abolish the law. I came as a fulfillment to the law. It's about faith in me. It's a spiritual transaction. You can't do it. So Nicodemus is, is wrestling. This is that part of Jesus I love. Are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Nicodemus knew a lot. And if he really would have paid attention, there was the Spirit of God throughout all of it. Not just... The, the, the what you see, but the, the, the God behind it. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know 
and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling you what I know and what we've seen, but you're not getting it. See, he was still stuck. I'm stuck in the law. I'm stuck in the oral tradition. This has been handed down to me for thousands of years. I'm stuck here. And Jesus said, I'm declaring what I know. We're declaring what we know and what we've seen. We're testifying to you. I've told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You ever had a conversation? Again, it might have been you, somebody having a conversation. But have a conversation with someone who's, who's unsaved. And you're telling them about the things of God. And they just look at you with that deer in the headlights look. They, they, they don't get it. And you, and you go, why don't, why don't you get it? You don't believe. Maybe that's you. And maybe you're, you're, you're seeking this morning. Like Nicodemus, he came at night. He was, he was really looking. He wasn't trying to offend Jesus or to find something against him. He was seeking. And that might be you this morning. Maybe you've sat in church for a long time, but there hasn't been that spiritual transaction. And people have talked to you and you just look at them and go, I just don't, I don't understand. How can we believe heavenly things? And then he goes on. Jesus goes on and says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now he, he's crossing the line again here. He says, Listen, no one has ascended to heaven, but I have. So he's making his declaration. I'm the Son of Man, but I've ascended to heaven. I'm the Son of God, the Son of Man. And in verse 14, the prophetic of Jesus here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember the story in the book of Numbers? I think it's chapter 21. And, and the people were grumbling again. They were famous for grumbling. They would get rescued and then they would murmur and they would grumble and they would complain. And, and now the, they eat manna every day and they're grumbling. And they said, we should just go back to Egypt. I am sick and tired of this manna. You ever been there? I'm so sick of this. When ten years ago you prayed, God gave that to you. Job. Family. Something. And you rejoiced when you received it. And now you're grumbling and complaining and murmuring against God. I'm so sick of this. That's what they were doing. God's provision that was a blessing, now they're tired of it. And they want something new, something better, something different. And God says, I'm going to let you have what you want. And he turns snakes loose in the camp to bite people and they start dying. The punishment starts coming or the... the Result of their murmuring, he just gives them over to it. And, he's, and he tells Moses to build a, a staff with the snake on it, the bronze serpent, and he holds it up. He says, Whoever looks at that will be healed and lived. And so Moses holds up the bronze serpent, and those who look on it, they are healed and they live. And Jesus says, Just like Moses held the serpent up in the desert 
so I will be lifted up. And everyone who looks to Jesus will be healed and restored. Nicodemus didn't even know what he's talking about yet. He goes, okay. He has, he has nothing to... What, what, is he gonna, what is he thinking? So must I be lifted up. In about three years, he's going to find out. But Jesus, he looked back and he said, that was a foreshadow of me. Look to me and you'll be healed. Look to me and you'll have life. And then verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This passage in John talking to Nicodemus and to the rest of the world, to us, we receive that and we use that and it's, it's wonderful. But put yourself in Nicodemus's place. There's some issues with this verse. One, God so loved the world, not God so loved his people. God so loved the Jews. He doesn't say that. He says the whole world and there is an issue if you're Jewish. God doesn't love them. They're heathen. The Old Testament was all about God destroying them. And now he says God so loved them that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. We have the love of God being poured out to the whole world. And how is the salvation found? Nicodemus says the salvation is found entering the kingdom of God is simply believing. I'm sorry, by living according to the law. It's not about believing. It's about living and doing. You don't have to believe. You don't have to have faith. You just do what it says. And you'll be good. And this is the, this Jesus is, it's not about that. It's about believing on him. They shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. I suppose this would have been a little more radical for, for uh, Nicodemus if he is a Sadducee. See, man, there's no eternal life. It's the greatest message that this world has ever gotten. It's the most important message that God provided a way to the whole world to be saved because of His love for us. Not His anger, but His love. That we can come into relationship with Jesus and have eternal life. In two weeks, it's uh, it, this is the first national... Friend Sunday, March 30th. They've just began to, it's a kind of a church-wide movement that on March 30th, you invite a friend to church. And I thought, that's a, that's a nice idea. How come we only invite friends once a year, though? <laughs> March 30th, you can put it on your calendar. If, you know, this is, I guess it's a, a little, it's a, it's a way to put pressure on people and get them to bring somebody to, you know, that know to church on March 30th, all across the nation, people will be inviting their neighbors and friends to church. But why? 
It's not so that they can get church. It's not so that they can get a, a system to live by and rules and regulations. It's so that they might find this Christ that if you believe in, you'll have eternal life. I can't explain what happened to me when I put my faith in Christ. In fact, it happened when I was young. I, I accepted Christ when I was about 10 years old. Didn't know really what it meant, but there was a change in my life. And He never let me go. And God loved us so that we'd have eternal life. And then He continues His discourse with Nicodemus in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's a feeling you can get when you read the Old Testament that God was always about punishing those. Can't you kind of get that? If you're outside, put them to death. Utterly destroy. There, there was a, I think there's a, there was a feeling that that's what God was. And so it was so important to be part of the Jewish faith. To be an Israelite and to, to adhere to the, the law. Because there was this thing that if you weren't, you were going to get smitten by God. He going to smite you. Kill you. And Jesus says, He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world. That's not what He's doing. If God's a God of love, why does He send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. People are on their way to hell. And He's reaching out to save them from hell. That's a difference. And He's put it, eternity in their hearts. That there is no excuse. God loves us so much, He's reaching out all the time in love to snatch us from the fiery pits of hell. He didn't come to condemn us. That there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned in Christ. He's not coming to do this. He's coming to free us, to give us life. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. See, we're condemned outside of Christ. Nicodemus knew that is, he was a Pharisee. He knew of all the laws that he had broken. He knew. So he made his sacrifices. Without faith in Christ, we're condemned already. We're on our way to hell. But Jesus came in to give us life. And it's by belief in him. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And if this isn't true of our nation today, and men love darkness rather than light. You know, I was born in 1970. So I grew up in the, in, in the real quick downhill slide. I never got to live really in a Christian Strong. I was at the, the tail end of it ending when there was a, an understanding and an assumption of morals in God. Probably back in the 50s. In the 60s, it really began to change. It, it appears from history. And by the time I came on, I came on the scene in the real hippie movement and free love and drugs. And 
Men love darkness rather than light. And today, it is so evident that that's what, that's what they're saying. Air Force cadet this week by his door having a Bible verse on a little bulletin board by his door has to remove it because it's a Bible verse. All over the nation, if you're not keeping up with this, the atheists are coming in and tearing down, demanding, sometimes they're just doing it, but they're bringing lawsuits to tear down World War I and World War II crosses at grave stones because they're offended by them. But everything else is okay. Homosexuality, let's, let's, let's legalize marijuana, let's promote you know, ungodly people on the screen to do whatever they want to do in, in television, but stand up for Jesus. You can't, because men, mankind, loves darkness rather than light. We've got to be very careful, church, to not allow that into our, our life. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We should look so different from the world. We don't need to look like the world in order to reach the world. You just need to reach the world. So men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And isn't that true? Boy, it's just coming on in droves. If you're a Christian, there's just a beginning of hatred. You know, we are so intolerant as Christians. You know, they, everyone else in the world is saying you should just tolerate everything. We should tolerate everything except Christians. Don't tolerate Christians. Those that practice evil, they hate the light. That's why people don't like you. Do you ever just feel like, wow, my coworkers just don't really like me? Good. You're doing something right. Hopefully that's why. I mean, hopefully they don't like you just because you're a jerk. I mean, you know, they, people don't like me and it's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're a jerk. No. Let it be because you love God and, and you stand for righteousness and that they just feel uncomfortable. I remember years ago, there was a guy we'd been witnessing to, his friend of the family, and, and he eventually did get saved and hadn't seen him in a couple months, and he knew I was a believer, and he walked up to me, and in the, it was the B of A parking lot, which is the first mountain bank now, and he walks up to me, and, and I said, hey, I won't say his name, I said, hey, how you doing? And he says, so what, I got a beer in the bag. That was his, that was his response to me, hey, how you doing? So what? I got a beer in the bag. People get there's a conviction that begins to come upon people when they get around you because the Spirit of God should be dwelling in you. And when the Spirit of God is present with evil, the evil goes, I don't like this. And so that's why they shun you. That's why they say weird things. And then our temptation is to say, well, I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to become more like them. No. Be light and let the world, the darkness, hate you for it. Because they'll have to meddle. They'll have to meddle within them. And the Spirit of God can reach them. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Otherwise, his deeds should be exposed. That's why they don't want to be with you. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen 
that they have been done in God. When you take that darkness that we were all walking in at one time, and we come to Christ, He exposes them. But it's, it's, and it's, it hurts a little bit, but it's a wonderful hurt. And He says, I'm going to take these things from you. He doesn't come and smash us down because we're evil. Thank God. When we come to Christ and where our lives are full of anger and bitterness and, and sin and different types of debauchery and some of us are, you know, had these huge lists and we're all sinful and we come to Christ, He doesn't say, oh, you're so bad, let me kill you. He, he, he says, let me shine the light and let me help you deal with that. Let's remove these things from you and begins this surgical process of restoring us and bringing us to the place that He created us to live in and that's in life and in Him. Praise the Lord for that, but that's what people are so afraid of. Well, it's one of the things they're afraid of that God's going to, you know, take these things and He's going to kill me and He's not going to let me have my my sin. But when we come to Him and say, "Lord, I'm going to come to You," and You just take take whatever it is, reveal it. And that's what He does. And he begins to minister and He brings healing and life and health. Jesus and Nicodemus had a conversation about the kingdom of God, about salvation and eternal life. And he made it clear to Nicodemus, listen, you're not part of the kingdom, but you can be. And he expounded on that. And we we know and Pastor Floyd did a, a, a great, great job of trying to help us to see that we live in the kingdom of God and the kingdom is now, but not yet. The moment we come to Christ, we step out of the kingdom of the world and we step into the kingdom of God. We're translated. That's the spiritual thing that I was talking about. We're not just saved so that one day we can go to heaven, but we're part of another kingdom and we begin to understand the truth of God in a different way because a spiritual transaction has taken place. And yet it's not fully here. We won't fully realize and understand all that the kingdom of God has and is until we get to heaven. Debbie, no more oxygen bottles. Part of the kingdom of God is complete healing. But she's been translated from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. And she experienced a change in her life when... God saved her. And it wasn't just that someday she'd get to go to heaven, but the Spirit of God dwells in us today. And we see things differently and we understand things differently. And a war begins to happen even inside of our mind because we're beginning to see spiritually. And yet we have the world reaching out for us. Pastor Jeff had a great message. If you weren't here last week or listened to it again, it's a, it was a great, great time in the Word about wrestling with sin and understanding the spiritual side. But we are part of the kingdom of God today. And yet it's not fully here. So God, through Jesus, is talking to Nicodemus, helping him to understand. So what's the rest of Nicodemus' story? We hear in a few chapters that he's in the Sanhedrin, in the, in the, 
in the group and they're talking about Jesus and he says, don't be so hasty. And he's kind of defending lightly Jesus. Nothing real harsh. He's not really standing out real strong yet, but he's saying, well, you know, we don't want to act rashly against this Jesus guy. So apparently he was beginning to stand up for his faith a little bit. And we don't hear anything else about him until John, I think he's 19, after the crucifixion. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid. He doesn't really know, and he doesn't know if he's ready to make a declaration. That's us. We're often coming to Jesus by night. Well, I'm not quite sure if I really want to make my faith known. You might come as a seeker. You, you, you might have come or are coming now, and you might not even have told too many people, I'm going to church. Because you're seeking. Kind of coming by the, to the fire at night where Jesus is at. Your friends might have asked, so where'd you go? Oh, I just did something this morning. And that's a good place to start. Seek Jesus. Ask of Him. He'll, he's got the right answers. But we see at the end of Jesus' life, we see Nicodemus do an incredible thing. Jesus is crucified. What did his disciples go do? Do you remember what his disciples did after he was crucified? <laughs> they ran away. They hid. Ooh, they're going to get me. Two people went and did something publicly for Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they went to the high priest and they said, give us the body of Jesus. We want to give him a proper burial. Why on earth would you want to be associated with somebody that was just murdered for their sins against God? That's what, that's what it was. He was put to death because he was bad. And Nicodemus and Joseph says, we want his body publicly. And they buried Jesus. So Nicodemus starts off coming to him in fear and trembling and not ready to stand up for him. But at the end, while the disciples are hiding and they don't want anyone to know, even as Peter had denounced, oh, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus. Nicodemus says, I want his body. I don't care if everybody knows that I was associated with him. What a great change of a life. From Nick at night. To letting the whole world know and see that I was connected with Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to be as believers. He's calling us, every one of us in this room, to come closer to him. If you don't know him, come and ask him. Seek him. Have that conversation with him. The answer is the same. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. But for those of us who stepped into the kingdom... He's saying, don't come and seek me at night anymore. Be like Nicodemus. Be bold. Let the whole world know that you love me. See, the darkness hates the light. And they're going to hate you too. But that's okay. Be of good cheer. He says, I've overcome the world. Step out. Let your faith be known. I'm going to close in prayer. We all know where we're at. 
You can't get away from yourself and you can't get away from the Holy Spirit. You know, I've found times in my life that that I was, even as a believer, I was kind of like Nicodemus. I was about the doing and the keeping of the rules. And I allowed the spiritual side of the kingdom of God to to maybe become less important. And, and that could be you today that you know, you've been doing the Christianity thing and you're, and you're saved, you're part of the kingdom of God, but you find yourself lacking the spiritual side and you're just following the rules like Nicodemus was. I believe Nicodemus loved God, but he needed a spiritual transaction. You might, ne- might be in here and have never stepped into the kingdom of God. Never been born again because you've never believed and trusted on Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Today's the day for that. And then there's also all of us who need to make our faith known and stand up for our faith. Let others know, our neighbors, or our co-workers, that we're associated with Him. Father, this morning, we see from Your Word as plain that unless we're born again, we will not see, understand, nor enter the kingdom of God. Father, in this room, there may be those who've never trusted and believed fully on You. They haven't had the spiritual transaction take place in their life. This translated them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Move on hearts this morning and tug and say, this is Your day. And if that would be you this morning, it's not done by a a magical prayer, but it is faith in God and talking to God and saying something like this, God, I haven't ever committed my way to you. I haven't trusted you and believed that you really are my Savior, my God. I haven't believed in Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Today I do. Forgive me for living my own way and being racked in sin. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that He is God and I commit my life to You. Thank You for bringing me out of the kingdom of darkness and putting me into the kingdom of God. And Lord, for 